Hi, I'd like to present an idea. Supernormal stimulus poses the greatest existential threat to our species. Modern day global extinction rates are at about 100 to 1000 times background rates. The main cause of that is habitat destruction. If you were to picture, as geneticist Seawall G. Wright did in 1932, a landscape of evolutionary fitness values denominated by height relative to the set of all possible genotype variances. You could imagine what happens to a particular organism as this landscape of fitness shifts its shape beneath it. As the environment to which your genes have adapted changes, you may find that the evolutionary summit you've once ascended is suddenly a valley. We've seen the rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide skyrocket among young adults and children. Our attention spans have been getting worse. Opioid crises ravage countries such as the US. And as most see it, this is not great, but overall we're better. Obesity epidemic aside, common inability to sleep unmedicated aside, we have greater luxuries and live lives much improved compared to previous generations. So what if the first thing I do every morning is check my phone? That's an easy fix. No big deal. And that's true. Except that we're not minding, fundamentally, why this is happening. The root cause to these symptoms and the subsequent implications. That though it may not seem this way at first, the habitat of our species, too, has transformed dramatically over the past few decades. The argument I'll make today is simple that our present surrounding environment, though it may seem roughly similar to the way it was a century ago, is anything but. I'll derive from this a new category of existential risk and follow it by introducing some bad solutions we're likely to attempt, but that will not work, as well as one flawed solution that will work, but that we're frankly very unlikely to attain. And finally, I'll make the case that endeavoring toward that very solution is no less than the single greatest moral imperative of our time. The comfort warrior knows this intuitively, not skewed by a life lived for many decades outside comfort's oversaturated influence, by a youth of habits resistant to it, by mistaking it for luxury. He or she are the canary in the coal mine. They know it on their skin. They know the very real horror of not being able to trust yourself to maintain a semblance of dignity, not being able to trust yourself with freedom. Because if despite your best efforts at discipline, you still find yourself at rock bottom time and time again, then something clearly is very wrong. If cognitive, physical, and emotional fitness are what you're going for, not necessarily always aware of it, likely not, but during rare moments of intense clarity, understand with clear vision certainty that you are not the way you should be. And yet despite that, you still continuously fail at your efforts, then something undoubtedly has gone terribly awry. And it may be that you're fighting the wrong fight, engaged all this time in combat with an enemy unknown, that you don't lack passion, but that you've been consumed by it, that following your intuition has failed you, that seeking discipline congruently is precisely what has led you again and again to disaster. So educate yourself on the topic of supernormal stimuli. It's time you've understood that which you've been facing, came to respect the challenge ahead, and armed yourself properly to face it. Take a look at 
popularized environments. Social media feeds, content aggregator websites, Hollywood blockbusters, top chart music, political sound bites, clickbait journalism, fast food franchises, Super Bowl ads, beer flavors, etc. They all select for lowest common denominators by virtue of selecting for what's popular. Well, what are those lowest common denominators? How would you go about collecting the ingredients of viral mass attention? You choose outrage. You choose novelty. You choose humor, sex, fear, affirmation, pitch-perfect rhythms, stimulating visuals, intellectually rigorous ideas. No, wait, not that last one. You choose ideas that were simple and easily digested. And you choose all those because they work. We've evolved pleasure responses to those forms of stimuli. These exaggerated forms of naturally occurring stimulus are ones to which we have preference, giving us a dopaminergic high, often unnoticed and subconscious, not the kind that you can necessarily easily distinguish, but a preference nonetheless. And that is all it takes. Aligned with our preferences, the incentives are unstoppable. Inevitably, these prefabricated thrills are perfected, made cheap, entrenched, and abundant by the market. The endless loop of Christmas music at the retail shop, the sugar in your drink, frenzied bouts of social media affirmation at a click, pop-up ads in the corner of your eye, medicinal pills for your every need, or the multitude of focused group analyses that went into designing the smell, look, and feel of your new product. All around you, as we speak, flourishes a great and continual underdose. Our fitness landscape has changed fundamentally. When the Australian male giant jewel beetle is tricked by his mating cues to enter hour-long binges of futile copulation attempts with empty brown beer bottles, when he ignores his female counterparts, the sun drying him out, and even predatory ants as they eat him alive, he does not exist in the same environment to which his genes have adapted. He doesn't even exist in the same environment he did immediately prior to the seemingly innocuous introduction of these empty brown stubbies. The subtle and artificial hijacks his reward system, and that is all it takes. No different than a zoo animal losing its mind in captivity, or a moth kamikazing into a bright light. And they've got nothing on us. Though our environment once sculpted our preferences, it is now curated by them, not hindered at all by the need to understand their underlying reasoning, not constrained in the least by Weberfetchner ratios of stimulus perception granularity. We ought to realize that this is no simple matter. Embarrassingly awful number one app store clicker games aren't the end of the story here. This is the telling of a staggering hyperleap change in the conditions of our surrounding environment taking place within a time span that constitutes roughly two hundredths of a percent of our modern human history. Nor is this phenomenon at all unique to first world countries and their greater quality of life. Don't confuse these comforts for having a Wally style space living opulence effect that comes only as an added benefit of economic growth. Rather, it comes at the cost of hindering it. If anything, those of the developing world face a far greater risk of substance abuse, this glossed over variant included. And imagine that. Imagine the effect of having access to cheap and coarse stimulants long before even your basic needs have been met. In Colombia, it's being touted already that 47% of the population suffer from chronic pain, and what better solutions exist for that than OxyContin? Never mind the recent CDC report stating that the evidence of long-term efficacy of opioids for chronic pain is limited and that they are associated with serious risks. Moreover, existential risk in and of itself need not even concern you to realize the detriment of this. 
suffice that you recognize the crowd's popular susceptibility to this influence, that it is the birth mother of echo chambers, political hysteria, and popular lies. Suffice that, in the face of this cultural erosion, you desire a method that turns the tables on this and sets the scene instead for society to follow its most logical, useful ideas. Because currently, the marketplace of ideas is a complete fantasy irrelevant to the many uninterested in truth. Our most popular ideas are selected for no quality outside of being simply best at spreading, i.e. their appeal to the lowest common denominators mentioned earlier. Now, this might sound like a tautology until you realize that there exists another possibility, that they be selected for a different quality, the possibility of our popular ideas being those of most merit, that we instilled a system of cultural selection for our best ideas. See, there's an intersection between the category of popularized environments I mentioned earlier and another category, one where the exit cost is high and all bear the global policy burden. You can have one without the other. You can have dictatorships which are cumbersome to leave and universes in which the laws of physics are difficult to disobey. Alternatively, you could have porn fetishes which are highly favored, but to which you don't have to ascribe. Yet, as soon as you have both, not a totalitarian universe of porn fetish physics, mind you, but an intersection of these two categories, a new phenomenon arises from this Venn diagram union, one where there exists no recourse against catastrophic popular whims. I call this category of existential risk riptide, as it exemplifies the rip current undertone nature of the mob's subconscious impulse, sweeping up and dragging back the conscious actor, their head barely above water, in their frantic efforts to reach the shore. For this example, it's also an interesting coincidence that these rip currents often form precisely due to man-made wave breaks, much like supernormal stimuli's characteristic of being an artificial creation. If we have a stake at all in the future of humanity, in not allowing the closing of the door to a billion years of creative involvement with the cosmos, we must become invested in good ideas, in them becoming popular, as our species becomes more and more powerful, it is imperative that that is matched by our wisdom. We cannot possibly expect a positive outcome of a phenomenon continuously degrading our cognitive abilities as our destructive capabilities swell. No more than you'd expect one from giving a grenade to a toddler. Eventually, something goes boom. And this can't be accomplished simply by attempting to popularize good ideas on their own terms. Trying to condense complex virtuous notions into their hip and cool elevator pitches attributes to them no greater fitness in competition with counter-crowd manipulations that are far better incentivized. Nor can any of this be addressed by the hopes that eventually technology will come around and solve this problem for us, as there exists no condition in which supernormal stimulus isn't the primary driver of the vast majority of people's preferences who themselves must incongruently elect to use technologies which counteract this effect, short of some genetically engineered transhuman future in which these tendencies have been expunged from our biology. And worst of all, in the face of all of this, would be to lose hope entirely in the existence of any solutions, deciding that it is best to throw your hands in the air in a Camusian, one-must-imagine, Sisyphus-happy fashion. For it is possible to overcome this, the solution lies in successfully binding ideas to their consequence. Again, the solution lies simply 
in binding ideas to their consequence. All threats of the riptide category are unique in that they fundamentally cannot be solved at the level of the majority, that they exist in the realm of popular flaws and delusions. Therefore, they must be overcome at the level of the individual by empowering outliers, by lowering their cost of exit, by allowing for environments in which they can participate voluntarily, environments in which they are given the freedom to act on their own ideas and see the results of that surface. To make that which is meritorious popular, you focus not on the ideas themselves, but on fostering the environment for their unambiguous effect. If you do that, participants don't even require understanding of the deep complexity of the ideas by which any given voluntary society is ruled, only that they prefer the resulting outcome. As Jimmy Lai, billionaire entrepreneur, told of himself in an interview, if you grew up amid Mao's cultural revolution and tasted for the first time in your life chocolate from Hong Kong, you wouldn't need to understand the merits of rule of law and the capitalist system. You'd know immediately, by taste, by experience, by consequence, where your preference lied. And what better way to empower and healthily incentivize an often irrational, perhaps at times ignorant, populace? If we can allow for societies centered upon ideas to which their participants consent, by means of consequence, our best ideas thrive and become inherently popular. This is how any rational adult would attempt in his or her life to solve this problem. If you and five of your friends couldn't agree on where to go eat, you would never insist on forcefully dragging them along. Certainly not if you were interested in ultimately discovering which restaurant was best. And though this idea of voluntary societies, one that will certainly be considered radical by most, is not without its flaws, namely, under such a system, how do you prevent externalities and risks that leak outside the authority of each state? What is the default legal position of those seceded from all other populations? How do you ensure that no high cost of exit is imposed in any of these states to which you don't have access? What is the danger of empowering all forms of ideological minority? What's to stop total chaos, warring among factions, once the perceived legitimacy of democracy's monopoly on violence is withdrawn? How do you even go about achieving autonomy and land rights to such societies? Still, you would concede that there is no reason to think that we've reached already the end-all be-all form of governance. And assuming arguendo that it is possible to create such a system, there'd be no question of its efficacy in remediating the risks aforementioned. Therefore, suffice that you accepted the danger of this existential risk premise to make the ironing out of these kinks the greatest political urgency of our time. Some things, if not all, can't be solved at the level of their symptoms. Not for long, not sustainably. So if many of the greatest tragedies and challenges of our time had a yet undiscovered fundamental root cause, you'd be interested in that. And they do. We need good ideas and the will to pursue them. These two encompass the essence of progress, and comfort erodes both. Consider Galileo's Epursi Muove, Kutwein Duk's act of self-immolation, Solzhenitsyn memorizing the Gulag archipelago on the brink of starvation. Consider any of the many acts of righteous and moral courage throughout which human history is riddled. Whatever it took to perform acts of that caliber, it wasn't comfort. If I were to design a threat, 
I couldn't design it more perfectly. We lose this fight in the only way we'd ever allow, in subtly enjoying it, in paying no mind to it. Though for many millennia our people struggled, toiled in hardship, and comfort was never our enemy. In recent decades, all of that has changed. The embrace of comfort allows us to give up on the long term, on tenacity, on engaging in purposeful, meaningful, worthwhile hardship, the historical instigator. It turns us to resentment, I think. I worry, to violence. If you lack the will to act, what inspires you to love your neighbor and rejoice in their prosperity? This tremendous ongoing disaster is devastating our interaction with beauty, causing us to become so infatuated, so immersed in ease that we've grown dependent on it. The slow-going daily pain of withdrawal gives us all that we are, and we can't even tell. That alone is more terribly sad than anything we've yet lost. That we can't even tell. We've lost even the appreciation for what we once had. So disagree. Tear this argument apart. Point out its flaws. Just don't do the one thing that empowers it. And put it from your mind. If nothing else, you must realize that the endeavor to improve our ideas and the will to pursue them is efficient. If there existed a phenomenon that eroded both our ideas and our will to fight for them virtuously, that would be enough for it to pose the greatest threat to us existentially, as a species. Other potential and surface-level big problems, such as extreme poverty, war, terrorism, tyranny, disease, etc., emboldened by our enlarging capacity to destroy ourselves with nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons, with artificial intelligence, nanoscale manufacturing, even careless attempts at extraterrestrial contact, and a whole swath of other dangers, all pale in the face of an eroding culture and popularized bad ideas. Terrible as these detriments are, and they are horrific, they are all dependent on this essential infrastructure the infrastructure of good ideas and the will to pursue them, to be overcome. And there does. The single greatest moral imperative of our time. The defining effort of this generation. What better fight to enlist in? Thank you for listening.